loves Chachi won't be seen tonight, so we can bring you a very special episode of The Gen X Files. Welcome to The Gen X Files. I'm Jim. I'm Adam. And today's show is all about Chuck, Chuck Jones. Jones in the 24th and a half century. Uh, the master animator, the one who literally everybody cites as being their hero. Oh, man. Everybody over, well, probably anybody, oh, wow. but any, like, comedian or yeah. filmmaker or comedy guy over 30, 100%. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally. <laughs> following Chuck Jones. Chuck Jones was amazing. Uh, take yourself back to 1989. Ooh. July 10th. Blank, American voice actor, voice of Bugs Bunny. Yeah, what's up, that? Daffy Duck. You're despicable. Porky Pig. Hello. Tweety. Itari Ta Putty Tit. Sylvester the Cat. You are despicable. Marvin the Martian. I'm looking for my D25 modulator. Yosemite Sam. Oh, I'm a rootin', tootin', scootin', bootin', 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 bootin'. Speedy Gonzalez. Reba, reba, underly, underly, reba, reba, reba. Wily Coyote. The Tasmanian Devil. <laughs> Pepe Le Pew. Oh, oh mon chéri. <laughs> and Foghorn Leghorn. I see, I see, son, I see you better. All from Looney Tunes, plus the original voice of Woody Woodpecker. <laughs> and the voice of Barney Rubble in the Flintstones. Uh, hey, Fred, uh, what's going on? He died at the age of 81. Ah, man, that was the worst day ever. I was so, yeah. so... As you can tell, I've never heard of him before. Yeah. He's my favorite actor of all time. Oh, yeah. He was brilliant. And, and I will argue anybody to the death that we, he's the best American actor ever. Oh, yes, yes. Agreed. Uh, we will eventually be doing a male blank episode and go more deep into his physical his and, genius. and amazing prowess yes. of... of of his voices, uh, and is just acting in general. July 27th, in the largest prison sentence to date, Thai financial scammer May Shamoy Thipyazo and her accomplices are each sentenced to 141,078 years in prison. Now, when that happens, they just let their bodies rot. They just keep them in the cell until they turn to dust. <laughs> they are still there now. Yes. Somebody got really lucky, and they have a dead roommate. <laughs> That's a crazy sentence, man. Uh, yeah, the, the it was it happened in Thailand. I didn't go look too deep into it, but it was they ripped off a lot of people a lot yeah, of money. I get it, but 141,000 years is overkill. It's just basically like, I'm going to give you a bajillion, bajillion, bajillion I mean, years. They may have. They might as well have. Because nobody's going to be able to serve more than, you know, 120 years. Well, it makes me wonder. I, I'm assuming <laughs> they scammed probably like, you know... 10,000 people. Oh, I get it. And so it was like five five years for each person. Sure, sure. You know, or whatever. A lot of times they, you know, it, it runs concurrently or consecutively. But yeah, okay. Yeah, they're still, as far as I know, they're still in prison. Uh, December. Well, it hasn't been 141,000 years yet, Adam. I would hope uh, no, so. No, I mean, I just, uh, I think they're still alive, is what I'm saying. December 17th, the first episode of The Simpsons television series titled Simpsons Roasting on an Open Fire is broadcast. Oh! Oh, uh, man. That was another, whoo, baby. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, oh. My friends and I, we're, we're going to do The Simpsons, but I just got to say, that night, man, when that premiered, when we were in Boston, oh, baby. Oh, yeah. A lot of oh, smoke. Yeah. <laughs> Not from the ciggies. Uh, but back in November, Chuckamuck, The Life and Times of an Animated Cartoonist, the autobiography of Chuck Jones is published. Such an awesome book, man. I lost that book on an airplane. Oh, that sucks. It does. I love yeah. that book. I was, uh, I had it. I was going home <laughs> for holidays, and I was reading it. And I was so left into in it, and I had a few too many screwdrivers <laughs> on the plane, and left it in the in the in the comp- in the compartment in front of yeah, me. Yeah, the, the little, little sack. Pouch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, pouch. I guess is a better word. Pouch. Yeah. <laughs> in a career spanning sixty years, Chuck Jones worked on more than three hundred animated films. Good lord! His work was so revered and filled with imagination that when a child met Chuck Jones and was told that he drew Bugs Bunny, the child replied. He doesn't draw Bugs Bunny. He draws pictures of Bugs Bunny. Exactly. <clears throat> so, Charles Martin Jones was born on September 12th, 1912 in Spokane, Ooh. Washington. 1212. 1212. 9 12 uh, To Mother Mabel McQuitty Martin and Charles Adams Jones. I gotta just say, Mabel McQuitty Martin is a very turn-of-the-century <laughs> Yeah, here's the funny thing. It, 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 when it was listed, it was Mabel McQuitty nay Martin, meaning that was his, her... her her maiden name. Maiden name. Yes. And I was like, how is McQuitty not her maiden name? No, McQuitty was her middle name. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> well, it's that's family uh, stuff. You would get like my yeah. middle name is Rayburn because yeah, but McQuitty. my uncle was Sam Rayburn. But yeah, but at least Rayburn could be like a first name. I mean, mm, I don't know, man. Not, yeah, McQuitty. <laughs> but Charles Adams Jones. Shortly thereafter, they moved the family to Los Angeles, California. The dreamers' paradise, baby. Even yeah. back then. Uh, Jones's father was an unsuccessful businessman in California in the 1920s. Uh, Jones recounted that his father would start every new business venture by purchasing new stationery and new pencils with the company name on them. When inevitably the business failed, his father would quietly turn the huge stacks of useless stationery and pencils over to his children, requiring them to use up all the material as fast as possible. Armed with an endless supply of high-quality paper and pencils, the children drew constantly. Now you would think, Daddy's a grump. Because he ain't getting no businesses done. But Daddy was a sweet, sweet man. He was. And his mother, he credits his parents for his talent. He said his yeah. mother believed that the children could do no wrong. And that doesn't mean like, oh, he could be yeah. as, as naughty as you wanted Not, to. No it just meant that when he was like, here's my drawing, Mama, he, she would say, that's amazing. That's so great. That's so great. Yeah. The encouragement that he got yeah. kept him going. That in the hundred thousand reams yes. of paper that failed daddy <laughs> but dad was a dreamer man and yeah and he yeah. had that imagination too but that's the thing with dreamers they want to start something they want to they have the imagination to do something but a lot of times they don't have the business acumen to, to follow through yeah great idea yeah. men are not really great businessmen all the time true very true uh, later in one art school class the professor gravely informed the students that they each had 100,000 bad drawings in them that they must first get past before they could possibly draw anything worthwhile children oh they, i guess they're <laughs> ladies and gentlemen i have some bad news for you you have 100,000 bad drawings in you until you get that good one welcome to art school bitches there's, I, there was the same, I think it was David Gerald, who, a uh, writer who was, uh, um, he wrote for Star Trek. He created the Tribbles and stuff. Oh, nice. But he's, he did a bunch of other books. He was the a trouble novelist. with Tribbles yeah. is they multiply. But he very famously was like, you got to write at least 100,000 words before you get better. Sure. And, I mean, that's the same thing with you got to practice yeah. for 1,000 hours before you yeah. become a blah blah blah. Practice does make perfect. Sure. You know, sure, there are course. people that out of the gate have a lot of talent. And I think, you know, sometimes somebody with super raw, awesome talent can get stymied in the yeah. art school because it's oh, not yeah. for them. Yeah. That's yeah. for people that can't really draw, has to learn technique, that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, that's true. But, uh, but also, it's, it's a, you know, with the right professors and the right classes, it's a place where somebody with a lot of talent could completely thrive and find their voice. Oh, totally, totally. Jones recounted years later that this pronouncement from his professor came as a great relief to him as he was well past the 200,000 mark, having used up... All of his father's failed company stationery. Lord, that's a lot of failed companies, man. Woo! I bet you the dad was just like chinkly, uh, chinkly, chinkly. That's, <laughs> the, that's the ice in the scotch, chinkly, chinkly. Yeah, that was a good drawing. Uh, I remember that. That was my uh, that was my radio repair business. <laughs> Last two weeks. Let's see that drawing. Oh, that's a pretty drawing of a horse. Oh. Yeah, that was the time I was getting into martinizing, and it just didn't work out. <laughs> Chuck, you, you got to get good at this because you got to take care of me later. Exactly. <laughs> his parents were extremely encouraging of pushing their artistic endeavors. Jones and several of his siblings went on to artistic careers. Yeah. So, like, it, it's proof in the pudding that if you encourage your kids, you be supportive, they will become successful. In the yeah. I th here's, the, here's, here's a little philosophy for you. Here's a little <laughs> thing that I think. So... If you have a kid that's into the arts and you encourage them like these parents did, it's going to make them better and it's going to give them the confidence to succeed in the arts. Yes. Now, if you have a kid who's into the arts and you're like, that's stupid. Why are you uh, acting? You yeah. should go to business school. Nobody makes money as an actor. Yeah. Nam, 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 nam. That's going to give – that's going to eat away at their confidence. So they're not they're, – they may still yeah. have the talent. Yeah. I'm yeah. talking about myself. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, they may have the talent, but they don't have the tools to succeed because they're constantly being told that what they're doing is worthless. Yeah, they're being know? torn down constantly. Yeah. And, it's, and it doesn't make any sense. And the thing is, at the end of the day, even if they don't become successful in art stuff, they have the confidence to be successful, period. Exactly. An encouraging, loving environment seems just completely, you know, a no-brainer. Yeah, you would think so. <laughs> but parents are human beings, and yeah. just having a cat, I know how frustrating having a little thing around can be, and I can't even imagine something that's like smearing poop on the walls and screaming at you, and, you know? 
to have the patience to be like, oh, you're still a good boy. Peeing I love you into the side of your car. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's, a, there's a reason that I decided not to have children because yes. I do not have the patience for that. Yeah, you, you went serious. You got cut. Oop, yep. I, you nope. got the big V. Yep. Nope, not happening. Not happening. So some not of, a vagina. He got a vasectomy. No, he didn't get like a vagina. A, yeah. yeah. Uh, some of his early influences included Gertie the Dinosaur and Charlie Chaplin. Uh, Gertie the Dinosaur was essentially one of the very first animated cartoons yeah. uh, from from like 1914 or something. Oh, it was also one of the first really lifelike yes. animated drawings because there was a yeah. lot of movement to yeah, it. Yeah, it was much more animated yeah, than, it wasn't than just, just mm-hmm. here's one picture, another picture, now they're <laughs> yeah. going back and forth. Oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and, and obviously, Charlie Chaplin's a huge influence because you can see that in all of his cartoons. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean yeah. Bugs Bunny literally turns into Charlie Chaplin a few times. And, <laughs> it's true. And there's the walk he, the, I don't forget which cartoon it is, but there's the waddle walk away where he's... Oh, yeah, where, yeah, uh, yeah, with the cane uh, and the... I think it's uh, Wiley Coyote spinning his tail and waddling yeah, away yeah. Like, uh, like, like Charlie Chaps. Uh, Chuck Jones was really not happy in normal high school, so his parents realized this, and they put him into an art school. Another amazing... Look... Yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt. No, but it's just uh, this kind of parenting in the in the teens and twenties yeah. is is really remarkable. Yeah, I mean it's it's incredible. I I you know I mean I obviously his dad wanted to be a successful businessman and and I have no information of of how successful he actually was at any he of wasn't. this. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know at the end of the day you can not succeed in your own life and encourage your kids to do better. Well, it wasn't. As though the dad was getting jobs and losing jobs. He wanted no. to start businesses. He dreamt yeah. big. So he wanted his kids to dream big. And he wanted right. to, he was like, you're a damn good drawer, Chucky. Yeah. So let's yeah. encourage that. Yeah. And let's make it happen. Because daddy's not going to make any money in these businesses. And we're going to need you to, to do a little something. <laughs> and you know, you, like you said, his, his siblings were also artistic. And one of his brothers mm-hmm. was one of the inkers. And in-betweeners, yeah. when he worked at uh, uh, Termot Terraces, we'll get to. Yeah, yeah. After graduating from Schoenard Art Institute, which is now Cal Arts, Jones got a phone call from a friend named Fred Kopietz, who had been hired by the Ub Iwerks studio and offered him a job. Hey, this is Kopietz from Ub Iwerks. Excuse me? <laughs> um, is that English? Uh, Ub Iwerks mostly... His name might sound familiar because he was... His name was... I, Definitely growing up, it was always the one I was like, really? There's somebody named Ub Iwerks? Sure. That sounds so bizarre. Yeah, it's like a Star Wars name. <laughs> it is. Uh, he worked mostly with Disney in the early years. He actually helped to create Oswald the Rab- Rabbit and Mickey Mouse. Wow. Um, the final look of Mickey Mouse was because of Ub Iwerks. Uh, uh, Disney drew him, and it didn't look very well, so he cleaned it up and made it better. Yeah. Uh, he opened his own animation studio in 1930 after working with Disney for like 15 years. He worked his way up. Chuck Jones worked his way up the animation industry, starting as a cell washer. He said, Then I moved up to become a painter in black and white, some color. Then I went to take animators' drawings and trace them into the celluloid. Then I became what they call an in-betweener, which is the guy that does the drawing in between the drawings the animator makes. Here's what's so sad. You said he was a cell washer. Yeah. Because of uh, the Depression... Yeah. And then eventually the war effort. Yeah. Cells were like seven bucks a pop, which is a lot of money Ooh. back then. Yeah, that is a lot of money. So they washed them, which they, means yeah. so many of those classic cartoons right. aren't around anymore, or the actual cells, the real, the because cells, they had yeah. to wash them clean. They had to reuse them. And yeah. reuse them. Yeah. Wow, that's that sucks. Yeah, it is. It's heartbreaking. Yeah, that is. That totally is. Uh, while at iWorks, he met a cell painter named Dorothy Webster, who later became his first wife. Her father... Was Miriam Webster? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so she was 300 years old. <laughs> she was a vampire. Like everybody knows that the Webster family are a family of vampires. That's why little do you know that cell washers work in complete darkness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jones joined Leon Schlesinger Productions, the independent studio that produced Looney Tunes and Merry Melodies for Warner Brothers in 1933 as an assistant animator. <laughs> In 1935, he was promoted to animator and assigned to work with a new Schlesinger director, Tex Avery. Oh, man. Tex, you can ask yeah. for a better mentor oh, yeah. for Chuck yeah. Jones than Tex Avery because he was kind of the granddaddy of this slapstick. He was great. You know? I, he is my second favorite after Chuck Jones. Yeah, because he was nuts. Yeah. Like, there's, there's the triumvirate. There's Chuck Jones. There's Tex Avery. And Fritz Freeling. 
Yeah. But the difference between Jones and Freeling and Avery, Freeling, Avery, Jones. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm doing some sort of mental recall. Um, Jones put the personality in, man. Jones yeah. was a character yeah. creator. Like, yeah. he, was, he wanted to know why the characters did what they, he wanted to know what was behind getting <laughs> a, a giant exploding fist to, you right. know, it took him a while to get his voice, but sure. man, learning from Avery, because Avery was one of the best gag men in the business. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, there was no room for the new Avery unit in Schlesinger's small studio, so Avery Jones and fellow animators Bob Clampett, Virgil Ross, and Sid Sutherland were moved into a small adjacent building they dubbed Termite Terrace. Ever been? No, no. It's, well, I mean, I've been on the, the lot yeah. that it's that, that is now... KCAL 9 or whatever, but uh, but no, I've never actually been inside the building. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> nice, nice. I don't know if it's around anymore. I don't think it is, to be honest. I think it got demolished, because I think the Sunset Bronson totally took it over and demolished it. Yeah. I'm not sure when, though. It was not It was like 10 years ago or something. They did a huge remodel and, and didn't redid a bunch of stuff. When like, I was... I think uh, it was because of Judge Judy, to be honest. <laughs> right? Well, she's a powerful woman. I, yeah. But I, when I was working for ILM, I was on there once and snuck oh, yeah. onto the... I was like, where's the terrace? I auditioned for some game shows over there, and I, I, I would look and try to find stuff. But There's a bunch know. of bones of animators on these <laughs> strange, curved desks. <laughs> when Clampett was promoted director in 1937, Jones was assigned to his unit. The Clampett unit was briefly assigned to work with Jones's old employer, Ub Iwerks, when Iwerks subcontracted four cartoons to Schlesinger in 1937. Jones became a director, or what they called back then a supervisor, the original title for an animation director in the studio, himself in 1938 when Frank Teschlin left the studio. So essentially, Jones had gone from being an assistant animator to a director in less than five years. That's amazing. That's incredible. And, and granted, I, I don't, I'm sure a lot of it is just luck. You know, you're in the right place at the right time. But Chuck Jones learned fast. And, and knew what he was doing. and So he was, by 1938, he was yeah. an animator. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. The following year, in 1938, Jones created his first major character, Sniffles, a cute Disney-style mouse who went on to star in 12 Warner Brothers cartoons. Excuse me. I just, you know, cheese. He's kind of like yeah. Morty from Rick and Morty. <laughs> he is a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit. He was a cat first, and then yeah. he became a mouse. Yeah, and the, his same voice mm -hmm. was used as, as for chipmunks, and I, it, it was... Was I mean, that Gene Foray? Because was, I, I don't think that was Mel Blanc. No, it wasn't Mel Blanc, but I don't know if it was Gene Foray. It might have been, uh, but it was, it was so high-pitched and just like... It was. Okay. It was such a cute little guy. It was. It was. Uh, Jones initially struggled in terms of his directorial style. Unlike the other directors in the studio, Jones wanted to make cartoons that would rival the quality and design to that of ones made by Walt Disney Productions. Yeah, he had a vision in his mind, and, the, and, and it, it took him a while to figure out how to get it on yeah. celluloid. Because the, really, the, the, Looney Tunes started in 1930, before he was there, mm -hmm. and, and those early ones, you can catch them all, not all, but a lot of them on HBO Max. Yeah. Uh, they have hundreds of oh, yeah. the Looney Tunes cartoons, um, but... The early ones, if you go between 1930 and, like, 1935, they're really not very good. No. no. Well, same thing with Disney and all of them, because it was a new, burgeoning... It was uh, still finding its footing. Yeah, and it was yeah. mostly just guys yeah, with their hands dancing. waving <laughs> in the air and flipping their bodies and wiggly, wiggly, and going, ooh, wow, ooh, and then, <laughs> and they yeah. walk all weird, howdy, howdy, <laughs> and that was basically your cartoon. Yeah. <laughs> I and mean, then people loved them. I mean, it was they were great for the day. Yeah, they they played like, in front yeah. of films. All of these shorts, all of them, up until like the fifties, yeah, were part of the movie going experience, which we don't get, which I no. wish we had. Which the movie going experience, which you buy a ticket, you can stay there all day if you want. Yeah, yeah. It was a, a blanket admission, but you would go right. in, you would see your newsreels, get your news, you would see your daring, crazy. Uh, yeah. uh, Indiana action, Jones style, adventure, you know, yeah. cliffhanger, or, uh, what are those called? The, uh, uh, cereals. cereals yeah. And then you would get your cartoons. Yeah. And you know, you get probably and, and a couple other things. Potentially a feature. But yeah. like they, they no, you would definitely have a feature. They would, have, they would essentially have these programs lined up, and it would be one long, like, three-hour program mm -hmm. that they would just repeat all day. Exactly. And you so, could, yeah. You'd go in. They were the first places that had air conditioning, so, like, people would go in and just hang out all day when it was super hot. What the theater owners realized early on was that if they keep them in the seats, they can sell them the Cokes and the treats. 
all those snacks. You got to keep them in the you seats. Make sure you sell them the treats. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Yeah, it, it was. It was. I mean, they made their money off of the snacks oh. and stuff. Of course, the way my mom talks about. Uh, going the way she talked about talks about going to the movies. The way my stepdad just talked about going to the movies. It just sounded like you know you have a nickel, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and you, you and your friend. It was like the R gang, you know, y'all <laughs> pile into your you know your homemade you know wagon car that you guys <laughs> pedal. Y'all get in and with your you know y'all have a nickel that you swipe from your dad, and you go in there and and you have a couple extra pennies for penny candies, yeah, and yeah. y'all share your candies and you just stay there all day and watch all this great entertainment, man. Now oh, it's yeah. just like you go in and it's all commercials and. Yeah, uh, part of that we can uh, blame Alfred Hitchcock with Psycho because he he was the first one that was like, no, there has to be start times for the movie, actual start times, so the ending wouldn't get ruined. I get it. Yeah, it, I mean it's gonna go that way anyway. But uh, but yeah, I, that's the one thing, man. If I had a time machine, I'd go back and just sit in the movie theater. <laughs> yeah, well that's the thing. I mean the flip side of it is there there wasn't a lot of respect for filmmakers no, or films. That, that's true. That is very true. <laughs> As a result, his cartoons suffered from sluggish pacing and a lack of clever gags. With Jones himself later admitting that his early conception of timing and dialogue was formed by watching the action in the La Brea tar pits. He knew he wasn't doing a good job. He was trying to figure out how to make it better. Slow pacing is what he's saying, people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Schlesinger and the studio heads were unsatisfied at his work and demanded him to make cartoons that were more funny. Right, in which he did. And that's the thing. He wasn't yeah. like, if you. He's like, you know what? You're right. I'm going to do that. I and just, he did. I just imagine Leon Schlesinger standing there going, why isn't this funny? This needs to be more funny. Yeah, with a big old nasty cigar uh, sticking out of his mouth. Uh, uh, he So Chuck Jones responded in 1942 by creating the short The Draft Horse about a plow horse that very excitedly volunteers for military service. It's great. It's really it, – it is the beginning of his yeah. renaissance. And I will say The Draft Horse does not have any slow pacing in it because <laughs> it seems like that horse is on cocaine. Yes. <laughs> The cartoon that was generally considered his turning point was The Dover Boys, also released in 1942. There's a ton of Chuck Jones lesser-known shorts mm -hmm. that, you know, that are like The Three Bears yeah. or The Dover Boys that aren't the main Bugsy, Daffy, yeah. you know, the main stars. It's just these kind of aside, weird... It's Chuck's uh, <laughs> departures, which yeah, are really yeah. fun to watch because he's got so much creativity and there's so much going on. Yeah. Like The Three Bears, man. With the uh, papa bear, who's just a grump, mom bear, who's like... baby bear that is just insane. He's giant, and he's only seven, <laughs> and he's insane. just giant. He's like, my dear old dad. He's <laughs> just uh, screaming That was Stan Freeberg, by the way, oh, really? that did the voice of oh, him. Nice. Um, but uh, it's... If you want to see early family dysfunction, yeah, you know, oh, if yeah, you want to see yeah. a... a, a, a <laughs> a preview of like the family guy and all that stuff watch the three bear shorts they're really they're crazy so the dover boys featured quickly timed gags and extensive use of limited animation uh limited animation is a process in the overall technique of traditional animation of creating animations that do not redraw entire frames but invariably reuses common parts between frames yeah so it, it gives the illusion of movement without there being all the frames of the movement. Right. He also used something called the smear technique, which well, they would take the drawing and smear it yeah, give that on a middle of, yeah. frame to give it that, like, movement. He was one of the first yeah. to incorporate that uh, tool. And it, it, if you watch his stuff, it makes it so smooth. I mean, there's so much... It, it, the old Warner Brothers cartoons are like watching movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, totally. like, 27,000 drawings for a seven-minute cartoon. Yeah, yeah. That's insane. It's crazy. Yeah. The unfortunate thing about that is when we were really young, starting out on the Looney Tunes and the Tom and Jerry's and all that, we're like, damn, animation's amazing. Yeah. And then you get, you know, it's like, well, here's your stuff. Here's your Transformers and your G.I. Joes. And it's like oh, yeah. four yeah. cells per minute. You yeah, know? It's yeah. like, well, that was, that's, maybe you get a blink. <laughs> pretty much every Gen X Saturday morning cartoon used limited animation in, in a very poor way. <laughs> um, yeah, and yeah. a lot of Japanese animation uses it because it's it's so much faster to produce yes. and it's so much cheaper. Yeah. Uh, but Hanna-Barbera was a huge user oh, of yeah. it. Um, well, Hanna-Barbera was all about the gags. I mean, it was all 
comedy and yeah, and yeah. laugh tracks. It was like they were making sitcoms. It didn't matter how much the anime. It was just like you had to watch their legs go and then that was about it. Neat and sandwiches. Despite these successes, Schlesinger and the studio heads were still dissatisfied and begun the process to fire Chuck Jones. But they were unable to find a replacement due to a labor shortage stemming from World War II, so Jones kept his position. He said, there's a great documentary, by the way, that we, did you watch it? I watched it. Mm -hmm. There's a great documentary that we watched in in, uh, preparation for this show. Uh, Originally on PBS, mm -hmm. uh, but it's available on YouTube. And I, there was no ads when I watched it. No, no. It was just free. Something that's put up. Yeah. Uh, I don't know who put it up, but yeah. it definitely was not PBS. Well, what's but what's it called? On there. Uh, Chuck Jones, Extremes and In-Betweens, A Life in Animation. Yeah, and it's just great. Talks to him. Talks to all sorts of people like Robin Williams and yeah. uh, uh, Roger Ebert and Gene Foray and just all uh, sorts of... What's his name? Steven uh, Spielberg. Steven Spielberg and uh, the other director... Joe Dante. And um, redhead director... Uh, uh, um, Opie. Uh, yeah, Opie. <laughs> so, uh, oh my God, I just had it. Uh, Ron Howard. Ron Howard. Good Lord, Ron Howard. Yeah, anyway, all these yeah. people talking about it, how they influenced, how he influenced how their he work. Influenced and, and one of the things in the, it's great. Uh, you should definitely watch it if you're a fan. But one of the things he said about being fired, he was fired several times. Yes, yes. But he just didn't. It's, he's like, it didn't take. He's like, I just show up and, you know, and I'd still work. And then they'd end up paying me and then they'd forget about firing me and then they'd fire me again. And then he just wouldn't go away. <laughs> Jones was actively involved in efforts to unionize the staff of Leon Schlesinger Studios. He was responsible for recruiting animators, layout men, and background people. Almost all the animators joined in reaction to salary cuts imposed by Leon Schlesinger. Uh, Schlesinger was a notoriously shrewd businessman. Uh, he was also known among the enemies for his lisp. Yeah, so cheap is what he is. Yeah, he's cheap. I, I originally wrote cheap, and then I said, no, that might be a little harsh. And uh, there's a certain <laughs> character that has a lisp. Yeah, an oft-repeated story states patterned the voices of both Daffy Duck and Celeste the Cat on Schlesinger, although Mel Blanc has denied that. Sure. Saying that it was developed over time and... He loved working with Mel Blanc, too, yeah. because he could. this is what is insane to me. He's like, we would get in there, and it would take an hour. Mel Blanc could get it all in one. He, wow. he knew exactly what I wanted. Wow. He, nobody on, could change on the fly and take notes and, and uh, adapt like him. And he's like, it was just like pure joy. It was like being at a, it's like being at a NASCAR race, man, watching him going around. You know, just yeah, like yeah. it. I would have loved to be at a recording session of him doing one of those oh, shorts. Oh, sure. Man. Of course. Because he's such a little nebbish. He's such a weird little turtle-looking <laughs> man, you know? He's been in a... And he, he was an actor, live yeah, action, but yeah. he just, you know, he had a face for radio. <laughs> the Metro-Golden-Mayer cartoon studio had already signed a union contract encouraging their counterparts under Schlesinger. In a meeting with his staff, Schlesinger talked for a few minutes, then turned over the meeting to his attorney. His insulting manner had a unifying effect on the staff. This is the same guy who, who created the Termite Terrace because he just refused refused to do any upgrades on this building. Look, you peons, I don't really want to talk to you about money, so here's my lawyer. Jones gave a pep talk at the union headquarters, but as negotiations broke down, the staff decided to go on strike. Schlesinger actually locked them out of the studio for a few days before agreeing to sign the contract. Yeah, what is he going to do? I mean, yeah, he has to. Otherwise, yeah. he's not going to make any money. <laughs> no, and he's not going to get any cartoons. Yeah, what, is he going to yeah. bring in a whole new set no. of people? No, no. No. Uh, a labor management committee was formed, and Jones served as the moderator. And this is the thing I found the most interesting, is that Jones set all this up, but because he was a supervisor slash director, he himself could not join the union. Yeah. He was literally just doing this for his people. He didn't care about money. He said, he's like, I don't know. I guess I didn't really care about money. You know, all I wanted was enough to live comfortably yeah. and do what I love to do, which is... That's all anybody could ask for. I just want to have enough money not to worry. Yeah, That's it. and to it, to do the work I want. That does not mean I need a million dollars. I just need enough to not worry. Yeah, anybody whose main goal is to make money is an a-hole. Yes. I'm sorry, you're a yes. soulless prick because there's you're there's no sociopath. There's nothing gained by just accumulating 
paper, yeah. basically. And, and now numbers. just numbers on a screen. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, what do you... like this whole anything. I think uh, billionaires, trillionaires, it's a crime against humanity. During this time, Jones created many of his lesser-known characters, like Charlie Dog, Hubie and Birdie, and the Three Bears. Hubie and Birdie. I, I don't... I, uh, they were these two mice. And, oh, okay. Uh, uh, I'm not sure which was which, but one was very smart. Yeah. One was very dumb. <laughs> uh, it was the old Abbott Costello, Laurel oh, yeah, and Hardy, yeah. you know. The, the comedy duo. But it was, yeah. hey, Hubie, Boydie. And then, you know, and then they, the first Hubie and Birdie was, they come to this house and it's like, hey, look at this house. We want to live here. But they have to get rid of the cat. Oh. Uh, so it was like the first cat character. I think his name was like Excelsior or something. I forget its name. Yeah. But it was this yellow cat. Yeah. yeah. Um, like Kubrick or something. I don't know. It was like a weird <laughs> name. But the whole thing is them trying to get through, them trying to get the cat out, and and it was the dumb one that always, you know, it was always yeah, the dumb guy yeah. that got, you know, that was the smart. It was just great the way that they did that. Like, yeah, yeah. During World War II, Jones worked closely with Theodore Geisel, better known as Doctor Seuss, to create the Private Snafu series of Army educational cartoons. Uh, the character was actually created by director Frank Frank Capra. Venereal disease, <laughs> the hidden enemy. <laughs> Private Snafu. Uh, Jones later collaborated with Seuss on animated ad- adaptations of Seuss's books, including How the Grinch Stole Christmas. You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. Uh, and Horton Hears a Who in 1970. I hear a who. Uh, th- th- it's funny. I don't really go into this, but he personally, Chuck Jones personally went to Theodore Geisel's house down in Mira Loma or whatever down in San Diego. And La Jolla. He uh, lived up La Jolla. That's yeah, right. He was my neighbor. He went down there. Oh my god! Maybe he was there at the same time. I, Can you imagine? Well, it was like 1965. You oh, weren't quite born no. yet. But because because at that point, Dr. Seuss refused to have his stuff adapted to cartoons. Good like, for him. He didn't want to do it. Yeah. And Chuck Jones went down, had lunch with him. He hadn't seen Dr. Seuss in 19 years. And they had had dinner, and Dr. Seuss's whole thing was, "We're just going to catch up, and then you're going to get out," because he didn't want to talk business. Yeah. But Chuck Jones was brilliant, and that he convinced Seuss's wife, who then they double teamed him and convinced him to do it. Night. They double teamed him and then convinced yeah. him. Yeah. It. it was a sexy night. Yeah. In the Seuss house, there were whizzles and whoozles and boozles and bizzles in their butts. Yeah. Uh, but they were close friends during World War II and stuff, so yeah. it, was, it was fun for them to do it together. Uh, they actually were, uh, later, uh, Jones worked on uh, The Cat in the Hat, but at that point, MGM Animation Studios had closed, and it went to another production company, and then somehow Theodore Geisel and Chuck Jones had a falling out. Huh. And I looked for it, and I tried to find what the what it was, but I could not find any information, but they, they apparently didn't talk after that. Like that Well, was the threesome... Wait on the relationship for many years, and I think it probably came to a One of them hilt. wanted to keep doing it, and the other didn't. Well, you know, you get jelly jelly about your wife. Yeah. You yeah. know, and then yeah. and old Teddy Geisel, he, he couldn't. The green monster got him a little bit. <laughs> uh, just to, to, to get back to the Grinch for one second, um, when they were talking to Ron Howard, because Ron Howard yeah. you know, famously directed the live-action version of the Grinch with Jim Carrey, he, he said, look, when we approached this project, Instead, we were like, how do we compete with this, the Chuck Jones version? And the answer was, we can't. So we're going to go a completely different version and do something that isn't even close to it because there's no way we can top that. Yeah. No way. Uh, also, during the war, Jones directed such shorts as The Weekly Reporter, a 1944 short that related to shortages and rationing on the home front. During the same year, he directed Hellbent for Election, a campaign film for FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Nice. Well, all of the studios and the animating yeah. studios and the stars and everything, they were all part of the war effort yeah. for yeah. World War II. I mean, Everybody the, got behind that machine. The stars went to war. Oh, yeah. They got drafted. Uh, and... You know, all of the a lot of these cartoons you'll watch, and they'll just end with, "Well, let's go buy some more bonds," or <laughs> "I'm going off to Germany," or you know, "Let's yeah. let's sacrifice," you know, "Let's give all of this fuel to," you know, or "I'm going to punch Hitler in the face." <laughs> they all had like some sort of patriotic bent, but it was if you have a chance to watch the propaganda cartoons, they're fascinating because they're racist when it comes to Japan. Uh, extremely, yeah. But yeah. you know, the, it's it's fascinating to watch how Hollywood joined that effort of propaganda, oh, which it hasn't in anything 100% before. I, I mean, yeah. it hasn't done since. No, no, I can't, no, no. You know, no. I mean, there hasn't really been 
a reason. Well, no, they weren't like Teenage <laughs> but, Mutant Ninja Turtle, you know, episodes no. about uh, Iraq. About the first know? desert storm. <laughs> yes. The turtles go to stir the desert. They're in Baghdad. I'm going to get sad him. No, it was it was it was definitely the last time that the the whole country was galvanized yeah. behind you know making this war end. Yeah, I mean, the, the, all these people. Okay, just do this for one second. But all everybody that's complaining about masks and, and and inoculations and this and that and freedom and losing their minds over these tiny little inconveniences, I dare you to look back at World War II and every sacrifice that. Everybody made. They had yeah. rations for butter, rations for eggs. You had little tickets that you would get for certain things. You could only get gas on certain days. Yeah. You couldn't buy pots made of metal anymore. You donated your pots I, made of metal. Women would literally draw lines on the back of their legs because they didn't have stockings. Exactly. Like it was everybody was sacrificing. Everybody did. And that included everybody in Hollywood and everybody making movies. And it was just a time that was really incredible. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm a little reminded of that watching the people in Ukraine come together, yeah, yeah, you know, to yeah. fight against, uh, uh, yeah, Russia. Yeah. Uh, Jones created characters through the late 1930s, late 1940s, and the 1950s, which include his collaborative help in co-creating Bugs Bunny, and also included creating Claude Cat, Mark Antony, and Pussyfoot, Charlie Dog, Michigan J. Frog, Gossamer, and the four most popular creations. Marvin the Martian. Hello. Pepe Le Pew. Oh. <laughs> Wiley Coyote. And the Roadrunner. Meep, meep. Yeah, there you go. I don't want to gloss over Michigan J. Frog. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. Uh, that cartoon, I forget what it's called. Um, uh, yeah, I, I'm not going to. But that's it. his Citizen Kane. Everybody, yeah. Most everybody agrees that that is probably the best cartoon Ever. Because yeah. it's basic. If you haven't seen it, it's this guy finds this time capsule. There's a box in it. He opens it up. There's a frog. And the frog all of a sudden grabs a hat. And he came. <laughs> hello, my baby. Hello, my honey. Hello, my ragtime girl. <laughs> He's Al Jolson. And so this guy's like, I don't, this is amazing frog. <laughs> and immediately it was greed. And greed <laughs> got him. Because it was the thing. He gives, you know, goes to the agent. Yeah. It, he won't do anything. Yeah, I just love the shots yeah. of the frogs just half dead in his hand. He's like flipping the legs, <laughs> you know, and the and the and the look on the agent's face is just like, really, this is. <laughs> and, You're going to Looney Bin, and then it just comes full circle. He 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 loses everything, so he puts the frog back into a time capsule, and then in 2056, yeah. some poor sap, same thing, <laughs> opens it up, finds the frog, sees money signs, uh, but it's just so friggin' brilliant. And the facial expressions and the reactions, that's what Chuck Jones is. Oh, yeah. The other guys are great. Everything explodes. But, like, Fritz Freeling's Bugs Bunny was just a maniac. He was just chaos. He was just chaos with a pair of gloves. Whereas Chuck's Bugs Bunny was this guy that never lost. He was just confidence and coolness. And the Chuck Jones Bugs Bunny. Bugs Bunny's not the aggressor. Somebody always comes and does something to him. Right. Whether it's the opera singer breaking his banjo, you yeah. know, or yeah. it's, you know, him accidentally getting into the spaceship because it's over his hole, <laughs> you know. So it's always him reacting to somebody being a bully or somebody doing something to him. And, you know, you know, as soon as he says, don't you know, this means war, that's when it's <laughs> on, baby. The funny thing is, and he said this too, everybody wants to be Bugs Bunny. Because Bugs Bunny is just the coolest guy ever. Yeah, yeah. And he wanted to be Bugs Bunny, Chuck Jones. But he, like everybody else, is pretty much Daffy Duck. Because Daffy Duck is Bugs Bunny with paranoia. He thinks everybody's (laughs) out to get him, and he thinks he deserves, you know, more credit. And he he, rightly so. I think, you know, Daffy Duck's got a point. He puts puts in just as much work as Bugs at the old, you know, cartoon factory. He never works. And he did such a great job at breaking the fourth wall. One of my favorites is Duck Amuck, mm-hmm. where he keeps erasing yeah, yeah. Daffy Duck and put, making the, him... Yeah, the, yeah, the, the animator's hand comes yeah. in. And yeah, and he's putting him in these weird situations and makes him into this, like, flowered face for a thing. So meta. It's and so just, great. yeah, and it's just torturing poor Daffy. And then you pull out, and the animator, of course, is, hey, what's up, Duck? Yeah. You know, so <laughs> it's just so brilliant. I mean, this guy, 300 shorts, 
And not a stinker in them. No, no. Uh, actually, Duckamuck, uh, One Froggy Evening, was the Michigan J. Frog. Yes, One Froggy Evening. What's Hopper Doc? Uh, all three of those were written by Michael Maltese, who collaborated with Chuck Jones, uh, along with the Roadrunner cartoons, but they collaborated all the time. All three of those, Duckamuck, One Froggy Evening, and What's Opera Doc, were selected by the National Film Registry by the Library of Congress for being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. Yes! The whole reason why this gener- my generation knows anything about opera or classical music is from the Looney Tunes. Yeah, yeah. You know, from... <laughs> oh, Brunhilda, you're so wildly. <laughs> oh, one of my favorite is when they're making fun of the, the maestro, and I forget the actual guy because he's from the 40s. Yeah, yeah. But when Bugs Bunny... <laughs> It's conducting the orchestra, and he's like, oh, 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 with his hand. And then he, he does that little thing with his finger. He's like, oh, wah, 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 wah. <laughs> and it's just absolutely brilliant. It's just so weird. The whole thing is weird, man. Like the whole <laughs> What's Opera Doc is absolutely – it made me a little uncomfortable as a kid because there was so much going on. And then at the end, Bugs dies. Yeah. Yeah. And I killed a wabbit. I killed a wabbit. <laughs> and then, you know, he's carrying the dead Bugs Bunny. And then, and then you know, we're all sad and everything. And then Bugs is like, you know, <laughs> yeah. what do you expect? A happy ending? It's an opera. To be able to make something so culturally significant and so yeah. ridiculously slapstick, something that's smart and stupid at the same time is my favorite. Oh, yeah. it's yeah. just, that is so hard to do. It's so layered. hard to yeah, do effectively. so layered. Yeah. Uh, so Jones remained at Warner Brothers throughout the 1950s, except for a brief period in 1953 when Warner closed the animation studio. Uh, it was because of the advent of the 3D film craze in 1953. Ooh. Warner Brothers shut its cartoon studio down in June of that year, fearing that 3D cartoon production would be too expensive. Uh, only one Warner Brothers cartoon was ever produced in 3D, Chuck Jones's Lumberjack Rabbit starring Bugs Bunny. Good short. I love how his reaction is like, well, let's just close it down. It's yeah. Dukes. We're not going to even compete not with even, Walt Disney. Not even try. <laughs> oh, son of a bitch. Uh, during the interim... Jones found employment at Walt Disney Productions, where he teamed with Ward Kimball for a four-month period of uncredited work on Sleeping Beauty, which was released in 1959. Upon the reopening of the Warner Animation Department five months after its close, following the end of the 3D craze, Jones was rehired and reunited with most of his unit. You know, it's actually a pretty savvy move. Yeah. He only closed it for five months. He didn't waste any money trying to gear it up for yeah. 3D. He got just... Ran out the fad and put it back up. All right, I changed my smart. mind. Yeah, it is smart. Smart on their part. In the early 1960s, Jones and his wife Dorothy wrote the screenplay for the animated feature Gay Paris. Yeah, with uh, there was Judy Garland's only animated film role. Uh, including Robert Goulet and Red Buttons as cats in Paris, France. I'm Robert Goulet. And I'm Red Buttons. <laughs> The feature was produced by UPA and directed by his former Warner Brothers collabor- collaborator, Abe Levitow. Uh, the movie did not do terribly well. It was a cute movie, though. It wasn't yeah, bad. It just didn't. It, it had. Uh, it did okay. It did okay. It, uh, was, it was a hard sell, man. It's like, yeah, you know, yeah. people were dog people back then. Yeah. Uh, Jones moonlighted to work on the film since he had an exclusive contract with Warner Brothers. UPA completed the film and made it available for distribution in 1962. When it was picked up by Warner Brothers for distribution, they discovered that Jones had violated his exclusive contract with him, so they fired him. (laughs) Jesus, man. Jones's former animation unit was laid off after completing the final cartoon in their pipeline, The Iceman Ducketh, and the rest of the Warner Brothers cartoon studio was closed in early 1963. Damn, man. Yeah, it's just ceremonious. Yeah. With business partner Les Goldman, Jones started an independent animation studio, Sib Tower 12 Productions, and brought on most of his unit from Warner Brothers. Again, Chuck Jones making sure his people were taken care yes. of. Yes. Yes, he doesn't. Chuck Jones wasn't about making $300 million. He was about no. making everybody enough money to, to live. To not have to worry. Yeah. In 1963, MGM con- contracted with Sib Tower 12 to have Jones and his staff produce new Tom and Jerry cartoons, as well as a television adaptation of all Tom and Jerry theatricals produced to that date. Damn. This meant major editing, including writing out the African-American maid, Mammy Two-Shoes, and replacing her with one of Irish descent voiced by June Foray. And I'll be honest, I had no idea that Mammy Two-Shoes even existed. Really? No, because it was always the June Foray character. Like, that's the one that I knew. Mm -hmm. That's the one that I grew up with. So they did their job. (laughs) They they did it well and realized that Mammy Two-Shoes was a bad idea. Well, 
I saw some Mammy Two Shoes cartoons when oh. I was young, and I even then was like, what the? That is bad. <laughs> this seems inappropriate. This isn't funny. <laughs> so when he took over uh, Tom and Jerry, people weren't really happy with his take. Tex Avery's take was very, it was pretty mean. The old Tom and Jerry's were basically two yeah. animals trying to kill each other. Itchy and scratchy. They were just mean. Mm-hmm, exactly. And it was just, it, it was hilarious. But uh, Chuck Jones, like a lot of times he would pair them up together against a foil. It was a little soft. It was more the Chuck Jones characters yeah. rather than just yeah. violence and anarchy. And I think people weren't ready for a more evolved Tom and Jerry. <laughs> it were. In 1964, Sib Tower 12 was absorbed by MGM and was renamed MGM Animation slash Visual Arts. His animated short film, The Dot in the Line, A Romance in Lower Mathematics, won the 1965 Academy Award for Best Animated Short Film. One of my absolute favorite shorts ever. So good. So good. And so, I just, I forget who uh, narrates it, but he's like, there's a line with a lot of lovely blue. And then the line is in love with this dot. But the dot lies, loves the squiggle because the squiggle is all over the place and he's just <laughs> blubbity blub. And then, then the line learns to bend and move and do all these incredible patterns. And it's just such a glorious short that starts out with just a line and a dot. It's yeah. brilliant. Yeah. It's, if you haven't seen it, search it out. It's, it's available on Vimeo for free, so d- definitely check it out. It's, One of the most amazing, yeah. 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 As the Tom and Jerry series wound down, being discontinued in 1967, Jones produced more for television. In 1966, he produced and directed the TV special How the Grinch Stole Christmas, featuring the voice and facial models based on the readings by Boris Karloff. Yeah. (laughs) Jones continued to work on other TV specials, such as Horton Hears Who 1970, but his main focus during this time was producing the feature film The Phantom Tollbooth, which did lukewarm business when Man Jim released it in 1970. Yeah, it was cute. Yeah, it was it was a passion project for him. Uh, MGM closed the animation division in 1970, and Jones once again started his own studio, Chuck Jones Enterprises. He produced a Saturday morning children's TV series for ABC called The Curiosity Shop in 1971. Mm, yeah, I remember. I, I've never seen it. I, yeah. In 1973, he produced an animated version of the George Selden book, The Cricket in Times Square, and oh. subsequently produced two sequels. I love The Cricket in Times Square. They used to show that a lot in school, like oh, on yeah. rainy days. Yeah. You know, they would show like The Last Starfighter, or, oh, and the, yeah. but then they would show before that uh, The Cricket in Times Square. <laughs> or the dog. I mean, they have all these, yeah. you know, these animated films they would have on 16 millimeter film yeah. that yeah. they would just show in class. That's you know, crazy. Yeah, it's amazing. Three of his works during this period were animated TV adaptations of Rudyard Kipling's short stories, including Mowgli's Brothers, The White Seal, and Ricky Ticky Tavi. Oh, I remember Ricky Ticky Tavi. Oh, Ricky Ticky Tavi was huge. That was the one I remember. Ricky Ticky Tavi. Oh, man, the mongoose. The mongoose yeah. going after ooh, mm, the cobra. Oh, it's <laughs> a fight to the death. During this period, Jones began to experiment with more realistically designed characters, most of which having larger eyes, leaner bodies, and altered proportions such as those of the Looney Tunes characters. Jones resumed working with Warner Brothers in 1976 with the animated TV adaptation of The Carnival of the Animals with Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck. Jones also produced the Bugs Bunny Roadrunner movie in 1979, which was a compilation of Jones's best theatrical shorts. They would do this all the time. They did uh, Quackbusters when Ghostbusters came out. So they would have this horrible kind of wraparound story where the voices just sounded really bad because poor Mel Blanc was... (laughs) Yeah, he just had a cigarette voice. And... uh, and so you'd have to suffer through these subpar, you know, <laughs> wraparound plot to put all these things together to get to, like, you know, the 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 monsters. Monsters are the, yeah. the most interesting people. <laughs> uh, Jones produced new Roadrunner shorts for the Electric Company series and Bugs Bunny's Looney Christmas Tales in 1979. Did you watch the Electric Company? I love the Electric Company. I did, I, a little bit. I, it was, I was a little young. I think by the time it, it, it ended, like, I had only maybe been around for, like, a year um, or a while. But, yeah. Yeah, it was a little it was a little for older kids. Yeah. Um, but they had Spider-Man, and they had Roadrunner, yeah, yeah. and they had all these, like, cool things that Sesame Street didn't have. It was just a nice, like, 
Oh, I felt a little more grown up. Yeah, watching, yeah. yeah uh, I'd put a little uh, you know, scotch in my milk. Mm. <laughs> and uh, I'd watch a little electro company and be mm, uh, a little bit more reserved. That explains a lot. <laughs> <laughs> New shorts were made for Bugs Bunny's Bustin' Out All Over in 1980. From 1977 to 1978, Jones wrote and drew the newspaper comic strip Crawford, also known as Crawford and Morgan, for the Chicago Tribune New York News Syndicate. Damn. Yeah, he was a very prolific man. These guys, these animators, these cartoonists, these artists, it just seems like they have uh, an unending well of creativity that just needs to come out in so many different ways. Just like we were talking about Charles Schultz. Even though he's doing the Peanuts, he was still doing like the... You know, the God comics and the this and the that and the doop and the deep and the da. Well, any, yeah, he, he just did everything. I mean, it was it was one of those, yeah, you. I, this sounds good. I'll do sure. it. Sure, yeah. Why not? Because that's what he did. He loved the work, like he yeah. said. Yeah. I don't care about getting rich. I want to do the work. And it was just like any opportunity to do the work, if it sounded interesting, yeah, yeah. I'll do it. I mean, yeah. that is the dream Yeah. to be able to have people come up, Adam, I need you to do blappity bloop. And you're like, oh, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. 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 I need you to do some bloppity bloop, actually. And you're going to pay me? Yes. Okay. <laughs> 16 cents. In 1978, Joan's wife of 43 years, Dorothy, died. Oh, yeah. that's a good run, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, they were married for a long time. Uh, three years later, he married Marion Dern, the writer of the comic strip Rick O'Shea. Ooh. Uh, and they were married until his death. Again, much like our buddy Chuck Schultz. Yeah. He was a lot about equality, you know? He was a guy that... Not necessarily used his work to show yeah. equality, but behind yeah. the scenes, it was all about who's the best person to work with. Right, right. These are the best people to work with. I want to keep them. I yes. want to pay them. Yes. I want to keep working with them. Yeah. Let's make it happen. He was all about the group. He was a collaborator, a true collaborator, which is very rare for an artist and an you know, yeah. Yeah. for somebody who draws. Through the 1980s and 1990s, Jones was painting cartoon and parody art sold through animation galleries by his daughter's company, Linda Jones Enterprises. He was also recreating a lot of those cells that were destroyed. Right. right. And selling those. And I have in my bathroom, it looks like a cell, but it's actually a postcard for one of those showings in San Diego. And I went and I was, I didn't have the money to buy any sales or anything, but I did get to meet Mr. Jones. And just a nice, nice, yeah, sweet yeah. guy. And talk. it wasn't just like, all right, good to meet you. I'm going to buy something. Yeah. You can get out. He was yeah. just like, oh, wh- what did you like about Blobby? You know, it's just like he had a conversation with you. It was just like, it was magical, man. It was like meeting, it was the closest <laughs> thing to like meeting God. Yeah. Because yeah. he created some of my absolute favorite characters ever. And to meet him and him to be so nice and gracious. Yeah. You know, it, it, he's up there with Telly Savalas, baby. Yeah. <laughs> my my uh the nicest celebrity i ever met was uh weird al yankovic oh man of course he, he's the sweetest he i all the stories are true yeah he was the nicest he just wanted to have a conversation i don't i've met him i don't think anybody who's met him has a bad thing to no, say about him no no you know i'm sure he's had a bad day we all have a bad sure, day once sure. in a while but i've never heard it no Jones was the creative consultant and character designer for two Raggedy Ann animated specials and the first Alvin and the Chipmunks Christmas special, A Chipmunk Christmas. I'll be honest. Uh, I did not see the Raggedy Ann special. Actually, I might have. I'm pretty sure I did. I think I did, too. Uh, pretty sure I did. <laughs> uh, I kind of wish he hadn't done the Alvin and the Chipmunks Christmas special because it is incredibly annoying. Alvin! Uh, I mean, it was fine at the time, but... He made a cameo appearance in the film Gremlins. Yeah. Uh, please reference our Gremlins episode. Yes. And he wrote and directed the Bugs Bunny Daffy Duck animated sequences that bookended its sequel, Gremlins 2, The New Batch, released in 1990. <laughs> it's a good sequel. Yeah. Uh, Jones directed animated sequences for various features, such as a lengthy sequence in the film Stay Tuned from 1992. Yeah, with our old buddy Jack Tripper. Yeah. John Ritter. Oh, John Ritter. Such a funny movie. And a shorter one seen at the start of the Robin Williams vehicle, Mrs. Doubtfire, in 1993. Hey, I'm Mrs. Doubtfire. I didn't know that he that was Chuck Jones. Yeah. I had no idea that was Chuck Jones. That's incredible. Jones' final Looney Tunes cartoon was From Hair to Eternity in 1997, which starred Bugs Bunny and Yosemite Sam with Greg Burson voicing Bugs due to Mel Blanc passing in Could never, could never listen to another cartoon with bugs with any of those voices yeah. it just never clicked it's as as talented as that man is sure Bunker, sure and the guy sure. you know all the people that have done like the space not, jam movies yeah. and stuff it's just it's just not the same it's basically somebody doing an impersonation yeah of 
It's like Bugs Bunny's a real person. Yeah, yeah. And people are and doing that's, an impersonation. That's not his that. voice. Yeah. yeah, that's not him. You can't capture the depth of the performance of oh, Mel yeah, Blanc. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like it's like asking, it's like, okay, uh, copy that Da Vinci painting up, you know, up on the sixteenth, the sixteenth yeah. chapel. 16th. Why don't you put it on the seventeenth yeah. chapel? Make it look just like that. The cartoon was dedicated to Fritz Freeling, who had died in 1995. Uh, another another uh, genius that we're yeah. going to cover. In 1997, Jones was awarded the Edward McDowell Medal. Uh, in 1999, he founded the nonprofit Chuck Jones Center for Creativity in Costa Mesa, California, an art education gymnasium for the brain dedicated to teaching creative skills, primarily to children and seniors, which is still in operation. That's so awesome. That's so Very awesome. Very much carrying on the torch from his parents who encouraged him. Yeah, but I mean... The thing that strikes me there is for seniors. Yeah. Because that's what, yeah, when yeah. you get old, as we are, uh, yeah. but that's the thing. Most, when you throw some poor old person in a home, they're not getting stimulated in the mind. They're not getting right, their creative right. juices stimulated. Yeah. They're yeah. not, they're just sitting there watching TV or, you know, playing canasta yeah. or, you know, waiting for the, the doom cat to get on their bed to, to show them that they're going to die in the middle of the night. So it's really awesome that he did it for seniors. I just love when people do something that's, it's yeah, it's great for kids. Yeah. I love that encouraging kids, but also to, to something to keep people active. I just love it. You can continue to learn throughout your life. 100%. It's, yeah. Jones's final animation project was a series of 13 shorts starring a Timberwolf character he had designed in the 1960s named Thomas Timble, Timberwolf. I'm not familiar with that. I was not either. The series was, was released online by Warner Brothers in 2000. Probably why. Yeah. From 2001 to 2004, Cartoon Network aired The Chuck Jones Show, which features shorts directed by him. The show won the Annie Award for Outstanding Achievement in an Animated Special Project. It was great. Uh, yeah, it was fantastic. In his later years, he was recovering from skin cancer and received hip and ankle replacements. Ugh. And unfortunately, Jones died of congestive heart failure on February 22nd, 2002, at the age of 89. Good run. Exactly 21 years to the day after uh, his writing partner Michael Maltese died. Oh man, that I cried. Yeah. Yeah, it's sad. It was it was it's very sad. It I was mean, the end of some his death is the end of something that will never be again. Yeah. You know? Yeah. There'll be something new. John Crickfalusi was really interesting and Matt yeah. Granning is amazing yeah. and there's all sorts of new animation coming out. The Bob's Burgers, oh, you know. Oh, those guys are fantastic. Um, yeah. All of that stuff is really fun, but there there is an end of something magical which was Bugs Bunny and Warner Brothers yeah. it's never, they could bring that that stuff back you know and they yeah. have HBO yeah. has a whole slew yeah. of brand new cartoons which you know I haven't seen More, I, I, somebody I, will be very happy watching them I will watch them because sure. I love the cartoons just see how they are but but it's not going to be it's going to be sanitized going to get somebody shooting Davy Duck in the face and have his beak blown off and then have that Spin look of just head. annoyance <laughs> You're not going to get that. Again, and we talk about this all the time, but it's lightning in a bottle. Yeah. There's never yeah. going to be anything like it again, and it's timeless. It's as funny today as it was 80 years ago. Yeah. I, I find it very poetic and, and very fitting that Chuck Jones, who cared so much about his people, was the last one of his people to go. Must have been tough. Like, it was, I'm sure it was hard, but he was there to make yeah. sure they all made their way through. Yep. And then finally, he, he went. He was cremated. His ashes were scattered at sea. After his death, Cartoon Network aired a 20-second segment tracing Jones's portrait with the words, We'll miss you. Yeah, that was Ooh, good. Yeah, there. no, it was, I remember that. Jones received an honorary Academy Award in 1986 for... The creation of classic cartoons and cartoon characters whose animated lives have brought joy to our real ones for more than a half a century. At that year's awards show, Robin Williams, a self-confessed Jonesaholic, presented the honorary award to Jones, calling him the Orson Welles of cartoons, and the audience gave Jones a standing ovation as he walked onto the stage. <laughs> For himself, a flatter Jones Riley remarked in his acceptance speech, Well, what can I say in the face of such humiliating evidence? I stand guilty before the world of directing over 300 cartoons in the last 50 or 60 years. Hopefully this means you've forgiven me. He was so... He was awesome. such a humbled Funny. person. Like, yeah. I, he's the kind of guy that is like, man, I wish I was alive at that time just yeah. so I could work with him. Exactly. And it's. I think it has a lot to do with 
he's an animator. So it's it, he's behind the scenes. Yeah. A director is there directing the actors. And, you know, and yes, he did direct June Foray sure. and Mel Blanc, yeah, but that's yeah. just like one person in a booth. I love the intimacy of animation. Yeah. Or at least yeah. animation, you know. Back in the day. Yeah. Not when yeah. it's like 80, you know. <laughs> rooms full of people making computer whatever. Ten, ten thousand yes, exactly. people in Vietnam creating yes. a cartoon. Yes. Yeah. Shanghai. But uh but it's just such an intimate thing. It's intimate in the booth when you're working with the actors. It's intimate when you're drawing. It's intimate when you're coloring and in betweening yeah. and you know, and, and then all of a sudden you go and you see this thing that is literally brought from nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And drawn into existence. And it's pure genius. I just, it baffles me that you could make something that good by drawing it. I just, it baffles me. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. 100% agree. Uh, well, that's it. Uh, we'll be back next week with uh, good old Matt Groening. Yeah, from The Simpsons and Life is Hell. And who also uh, is in that documentary yeah. about Chuck. Make sure you watch that documentary on YouTube. And Watch the cartoons on HBO Max. There's hundreds of these. Yeah. I, I got lost, man. So many. I watched so many, and it was just, I knew them all by heart. I knew yeah. all of the music cues. I knew all the dialogue. I was doing all the voices. Oh, my God, you're so lucky you weren't in the room. <laughs> the cat even left. That's how obnoxious I was. But that's the thing. Just, it's like being a kid. Yeah. Here's what I would do. Here's my, uh, here's my recommendation. Get yourself a big old bowl of cereal on Saturday morning yeah. and just Go through, get yourself some weed if you do that, so and good. just go through and watch as many of them damn things as you want, and you will not, your stomach will hurt from laughing. All right, that's it. Thanks. We'll see you next week. That's all, folks. Well, it was, it was also one of the most, uh, it was also one of the most, uh, it was one of the, I was also one of the first. Uh, Jones, including, uh, excuse, excuse me. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming, Charlie's Angels, already in progress. <laughs>